part of our mission is not only to help solve this healthcare, I think of it as a crisis, but certainly a problem whereby we have a lot of individuals who have these complex needs and not nearly enough healthcare providers who know how to work with people with these complex needs. But we don't even have the teachers in the medical schools and dental schools to teach people how to do that. It's not just a clinic that provides these services, but it's also a teaching clinic. So we can help educate them and show them how it's done. We take it up an extra step and really try to see ourselves as people who can help assist our patients in having a better quality of life period. What we have is a number of other disciplines of healthcare that are all housed under the same roof in the same office all talking together and we use the term transdisciplinary because really what happens after you bring these disciplines together for any period of time is that they start to learn from each other you get a better cross collaboration and the whole goal here is to help close those healthcare gaps that exist in the healthcare system that frequently are barriers to care for for this population Welcome to today's webinar with Dr. Matthew Holder of Primo Davis here to introduce us to this wonderful new program that has come to Hermitage. As an international leader in the emerging field of developmental medicine, Dr. Matthew Holder has spent 20 years advocating on behalf of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities for better quality health services. He and Dr. Hood, the two of them formed Kramer Davis in Kentucky and have now added an additional location here in Hermitage. This is a really fantastic model, and I'm really excited for everybody to learn this new approach. Dr. Holder is the president of the American Board of Developmental Medicine, the past president and co-founder of the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry. And he served for 16 years as the Global Medical Advisor and Chair of the Medical Advisory Committee for Special Olympics. So with no further ado, I present to you Dr. Matthew Holder. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Thank you. And can you see my slides? We can. All right. Great. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to speak with you about the clinic that we've opened. We are Kramer Davis Health. Um, just a little bit about me. Of course, you heard my intro. I've been in the field for a long time working with people with intellectual developmental disabilities, autism, obviously, and severe autism is a very significant component of, of what we work with. And I myself am the father of a daughter who has autism. She's younger. And so um, I had the sort of an interesting um, introduction into the world because uh, I was supposedly a healthcare expert in autism before I had my daughter. And then as a father, I realized how much I really didn't know. Um, it's just a very different and eye-opening experience to, to see uh, what I, I had been doing as a physician as uh, a family member instead. Um, so I come to you with a little bit of that experience, but we're going to be talking about uh, Kramer Davis Health, which is a clinic that we've opened up in Hermitage. We started off in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. That's where Dr. Hood and I are from. And the clinic that we built there uh, has been operating. It's called the Lee Specialty Clinic. Some of you may have heard of it in, in Louisville. And uh, the model that we opened there is very similar to what we've opened uh, in Hermitage. Um, and it really is based on, we had a predecessor clinic that opened up just as a dental clinic for people with IDD. And that operated for about six, seven maybe eight years. And then we eventually opened up the, the full version of the Lee Specialty Clinic, which um, has led to the development of, of the Creamery Davis Clinic in, in Hermitage. So our mission, just so uh, you know, and I'll, I'll read it here, but it's to give people with intellectual and developmental disabilities the most comprehensive quality care through innovation, passion, and integrity. We are advocates. That is something that we train into everyone that comes to our clinic. And we're, we try to be a trusted partner for families and adults with IDD. And so that people with IDD feel visible and heard and empowered. And just to kind of show you how we think, these are, are two of our patients from the Lee Specialty Clinic. And a lot of times, of course, we would be hesitant to share any type of patient information. Um, I can say that uh, we've worked with their families um, and these individuals. This is Trey Kramer and Terrence Davis. This is where Kramer and Davis come from. 
And we decided to name the company after them because uh, our patients are our greatest teachers. Both of these young men had significant, um, significantly complex, uh, from a medical standpoint, significantly complex cases, if you will. But sometimes I like to refer to it as complex intersectional disability. But what we're looking at is um, individuals who have um, autism, um, um, maybe some CP on top of that, some intellectual disability, some sensory issues, some communication issues, um, very complex cases and, and things that taught us how do we clinicians. Um, when I first got into this field a number of years ago, um, we're talking 2002, um, I was a fairly rel- I was fairly recently out of medical school and uh, my training residency. And I had no experience whatsoever in this field. I had received one hour of exposure. Um, I had a, a one clinical lecture from a, a mother and a, a 10-year-old who had Prader-Willi syndrome. And um, it was a very interesting lecture. And I still remember it to this day. But that was all that we got. And um early in those days, we actually did some surveys on behalf of Special Olympics and to look at medical schools and to look at uh, how much training was actually out there for uh, physicians. And what we found won't probably surprise anybody uh, watching this webinar, but what we found is that the vast majority of physicians and dentists and other healthcare providers never have the training um, to take care of these individuals. If they do have the training, it typically is going to be in the pediatric realm, not necessarily the adult realm. And that is very true in, in, in our world. And so part of our mission is not only to help solve this healthcare, I think of it as a crisis, but certainly a problem whereby we have a lot of individuals who have these complex needs and not nearly enough healthcare providers who know how to work with people with these complex needs. But we don't even have the teachers in the medical schools and dental schools to teach people how to do this. So in Louisville, the Lee Specialty Clinic is not just a clinic that provides these services, but it's also a teaching clinic. And in Hermitage, we'll be doing the same thing. First, we have to get the clinic off the ground, but as soon as we have a large enough patient base, um, we're already developing relationships with medical schools and dental schools and other healthcare provider training programs to bring those students to our clinic so we can help educate them and show them how it's done. And we feel that in delivering care in the best possible way to our patients and showing healthcare providers how it can be done, maybe they don't specialize in this, but um, when they go out and they open up their general internal medicine practice or their dermatology practice or their dental practice, whatever they do, they'll be more likely to see our patients. And we just think that's very important. A little bit about Kramer Davis and sort of what we are. We are, as I said, uh, we're a model that's focused on just providing the best possible patient care for for people with IDD um, in the outpatient, uh, in an outpatient basis. And really, this takes the form, I, I use the term transdisciplinary care. Um, and this takes the, the, the form that um, you don't find much in the in the healthcare community. Um, what we do is within the clinic, um, well, you know what, I'll get into that in just a second. Just to go over the very basics, we are focused more on adults. We are focused on uh, people. We actually started off as an adult-only clinic, and then we kept getting calls from uh, families and schools, and you know, saying, "Hey, you know, I've got a 17-year-old. Um, can you? Would you mind? And you know, we've got a 16-year-old. Would you mind?" Um, and as generally adult-focused clinic, um, we can reach down into a, a little bit younger of a group, and it really makes sense for this population as well because. Frankly, transitioning to the adult side of the healthcare system is a pretty scary endeavor, not necessarily going from a, a pediatric physician to or pediatric focus clinic to a, an adult focus clinic, but just in the fact that the whole system changes. And um, a lot of times families refer to that as the cliff aging out, getting into a very um, sort of scary area of healthcare, again, where a lot of people aren't trained. So um, we found that reaching down into that uh, sort of adolescent age group, one, we're able to apply some of the knowledge that we have um, with, uh, about adults with IDD to this group because they're entering adulthood, um, but also we're able to help with that smoother transition process that really should happen for people as they age and, and frankly doesn't as much as it should. 
Um, and, and really the thing that drives all of this, um, you know, we've been in the field for a long time. We understand the, the values of that are prevalent in the, in the IDD world. And so it's not just about delivering the healthcare for us. It's not just about seeing a patient and writing a prescription or, you know, getting through the appointment or anything like that. We sort of take it up an extra step and really try to see ourselves as people who can help assist our patients in having a better quality of life, period. You know, if you want to be a better athlete, if you want to be, uh, um, have a, a better shot at, at, um, employment, um, if you, um, frankly, just are, um, staying at home and just trying to have hobbies and, and enjoy the things that you like to enjoy. Um, it's certainly a lot better if you don't have a lot of healthcare issues hanging over your head, or at least they're managed as best as they can be. And really, that's how we um, try to operate. With that in mind, our goal is to really improve the quality of of life for people with IDD. So the way that we do this, and this is what I was getting to before, is is transdisciplinary healthcare, and it's a little bit of a different model. So. You know, if you go to a typical doctor's office, maybe it's internal medicine, family practice, uh, it could be just as big of an office as what we have, but it will be filled only with internal medicine doctors or only with family medicine doctors or only with dentists. What we have is a number of other disciplines of healthcare that are all housed under the same roof in the same office, all talking together. And we use the term transdisciplinary because really what happens after you bring these disciplines together for any period of time is that they start to learn from each other. So in the sense that family medicine doctors can talk to other family medicine doctors and make better family medicine doctors, when we bring in a psychiatrist who focuses on this population and have them talk with the internal medicine doctor who focuses on this population, you get a better cross collaboration. And the whole goal here is to help close those healthcare gaps that exist in the healthcare system that frequently are barriers to care for, for this population. And frankly, it changes the way that we provide uh, healthcare. Um, whether it's dentistry or psychiatry or, or developmental medicine. And we call it developmental medicine, but it's essentially primary care that's focused on this population. So I'll just go through these. Um, this is what we have in the Hermitage Clinic. It's medicine, dentistry, psychiatry, behavioral health, um, PT, OT, speech, and uh, crisis as well. And we work on all of those things. They all collaborate together. And that's what we do. So just a little introduction to the clinic. Um, this is what it looks like when you get off the elevator and, and come into the front door. There are certain things that we've done uh, with the building to uh, try to make it as appealing to people with IDD or, or potentially sensory issues as possible. So um, even with the front door, we actually expanded the front door. It was very small. We got in there. We thought, you know what? Some of our patients have difficulty transitioning even from room to room. And so they're coming into an unfamiliar environment. Let's make it nice and big and glass so that when they get off that elevator, they know exactly what's on the other side of that door. They know what they're walking into. And, uh, you know, hopefully there's no no fear, no anxiety there. Um, we have very, fairly muted colors here um, for the same kind of concept. Um, on, on the other side of that desk, you'll see our front desk person. Um, and of course, they'll help you get um, you know oriented to the clinic. All of our medical uh, rooms are um, accessible, have accessible tables. Um, it's all kind of the latest and greatest technology. Um, we have um, we can weigh people on these tables. We can take vitals with the tables, and it integrates into our electronic health records. Probably a little more technical stuff than what you what you really need to know, but the. But the point is that we've thought about um, physical accessibility in uh, every place, uh, any part of that building. In the dental chairs, what you don't see actually going up over these dental chairs in the ceiling is a lift that we've installed in every one of our rooms that has a, a dental chair. Um, so that anybody who uses a wheelchair, we can use that lift, we can take them comfortably out of that chair, put them into the dental chair um, and take them out and put them back in their chair very easily. Um, uh, I think the last survey that I heard of dental practices was that um, only about four or five percent of dental practices have some sort of 
formal lifting mechanism to transfer people out of uh, wheelchairs and into a dental chair. And for dentists, this is how they've learned how to deliver dentistry. So if you use a wheelchair, even if a dentist is trying their best to see you in your chair, uh, it still isn't uh, the thing that they're used to. So we try to eliminate that barrier again for for our uh, patients and for the and for the dentists uh, delivering the care. Um, also inside the dental practice, um, we have a couple of other features of things that we've thought about um, for people who have sensory needs. Um, so we can dim the lights in any of the dental bays um, if if that's something that is helpful for the individual. Um, we have uh, individual rooms um, for dentistry that are quiet, actually even soundproofed so that um, there's as little additional sound uh, as possible from from the outside coming in, if that's helpful. Um, we even have the ability to we've got some uh, the ability to, to have um, brown noise that is uh, throughout the clinic. Um, and it's very it's not very noticeable. But what it tends to what it does is it helps to drown out any uh, the the sharp edges of any um, jarring sounds and these sudden sounds, you know, sometimes when folks have anxiety about a particular um, uh, a procedure or just being in a particular place, you know, having um, somebody laugh outside the door or, uh, you know, somebody drop something can be very jarring. And so just having a little bit of background ambient sound that you is almost imperceptible just kind of helps drown that out. And those are just kind of some of the things um, that we've thought about um, in designing our dental space. Um, another thing I think is very important to talk about when it comes to dental, I get frequent questions about dental, but one of the things that I think is very uh, important to, to talk about is um, our ability to decrease the need for general anesthesia. So a lot of people, and especially people with autism and especially folks that have very complex um, um, presentations, or behaviors, um, or um, may lack the um, ability to fully understand uh, the the visit. Um, those folks in the rest of the world tend to get referred to the operating room for dental dentistry under general anesthesia. In my mind, um, that is something that is a very uh, it's very widely used, but it's something that is a very it's like taking a hammer to everything. Um, and personally, we try to avoid the use of general anesthesia um, because what we found is that if you're patient, if you have the right kind of resources, if you've worked with these patients, um, our success rate in getting somebody out of general anesthesia and into the chair so they can learn how to get through a dental visit is about 93%. So the vast majority of people in cases that we encounter um, with uh, um, any level of autism, any level of sensory needs that you can think of. Um, 93% of the time, um, we're able to take that person from somebody who is automatically going to have to go under general anesthesia for dentistry to somebody who can probably just sit in this chair, um, and allow the dentist to get all the way through. Now, what does that look like? You know, that can take multiple, multiple, multiple visits. Um, something we work on the work with the families, obviously working with the, the individual. Um, and, uh, we, it, it often means unsuccessful dental visits from the dentist's perspective in the sense that that first visit might just be somebody coming in and sitting in a chair and there may not be any dentistry that's provided whatsoever that day. We're just going to get used to sitting in the chair. And then maybe we'll talk about, maybe we'll brush your teeth in the chair. Maybe we'll go the next step and the next step and the next step. But after a while, what ends up happening is everybody learns and everybody gets comfortable with where we are and what's happening. Um, and, uh, like I said, 93% of the time, we're going to be able to get that person to be able to have their dental visit without going to general anesthesia. I just think that's a very important thing to talk about. Um, we have a therapy room. Um, this therapy room and this mural actually was painted by somebody um, who has autism in the Nashville community. Um, and uh, I just thought it was such a fun thing. We use this to help break the ice between our therapists and our patients and um, help to work on communication and, and uh, executive functioning and things like that. Um, but it's a very nice 
calming space. We uh, put little covers here on the, uh, the the business office fluorescent lights to try to just mute the light just a little bit. Again, just thinking about things from our, our patient's perspective. Um, what you don't see off to the side of this room is um, actually a full bathroom and shower. Um, if we have to work on uh, activities of daily living, we can do that. If somebody even has an accident inside uh, a bathroom accident, let's say inside the clinic, um, there's the facilities there to, to get completely cleaned up if necessary. Um, and, uh, and of course that would never be a reason that, uh, we would say, you know, please don't come back to the clinic. Uh, for us, that is not an option. Um, and I, I think it's important for me to say that a lot of our patients have had the experience and all of our families have had the experience of being kicked out of, uh, any kind of medical office, any kind of dental office that you can think of, um, being asked to leave because behaviors in the waiting room, or or being you know stuck on at the very end of the day, or or way in early times, and you know um, have feeling very unwelcomed, um, per perhaps because the staff didn't know how to to work with people with IDD, um, it didn't make sense for their model. Um, for us, we recognize that that is a common experience among our patients. Um, they will not have that experience for us. We will accept you. Um, if you have a behavior in our clinic, uh, we'll ask you to come back the next time. Um, the only reason why anybody ever leaves our clinic is because they stop coming to our clinic. Um, this is, um, it won't be something that we generate. Um, and that's because we really consider ourselves to be the, the last, the, the last, the end of the line. Um, if you're coming to us, um, you want our type of care. Um, and in some cases, we might be the only folks that are willing to provide and, and willing to take the extra steps that are going to make it uh, make the outcomes the best. And we're happy to provide that. Um, and, and I think it's important that families understand um, that we are, um, we're there to support, and we're committed to providing that kind of care. Um, we also have some sensory rooms inside the clinic as well. Um, we found that some of our uh, uh, patients enjoy um, this kind of a calming uh, environment, a little bit of low light, a little bit of color, a little bit of comfortable seating. Um, it's not super fancy, but it's something you're probably not going to find in your average adult uh, medical office or dental office. Um, and if our folks need it um, just to kind of calm down or maybe as a reward afterwards or just a few minutes just because it's fun to sit there, uh, we can do that. Um, and so we're, we're happy to facilitate that. We've got two of those in the, in the room. Um, if anybody would like to, to come and see a tour, um, we are more than happy to have people walk through just as an introduction. Uh, we give tours all the time. Um, I'm going to leave this, um, co this code up here, um, so that you can scan it if you want and schedule a tour. Um, but you could also contact the clinic, uh, anyway. Um, and we are just thrilled to, to have any family, um, any potential future patient, uh, you don't have to be one to, to walk through the building and we'll explain everything. You can meet everybody and, and, um, you know, check it out for yourself and see what you think. Um, if you want to make a referral, so of course we are, um, just have only been open for a couple of months. Um, we know there are lots of patients out there who who need our services, and of course, as a clinic who's um, trying to grow our patient base, like we're uh, also wanting to connect with those uh, individuals as well. So, um, if you can, if you know folks who would like uh, to or could use our services or are interested in what we're doing, um, again, um, you can uh, make a referral and just scan this here and fill out some information, and we'll take it from there. Our contact information here is here. So um, as we said, uh, located in Hermitage, uh, 3901 Central Pike, we have the entire fifth floor of that building. Um, so it's pretty easy. You just have to get at the elevator and get off and there you are. Um, our phone number there, 615-933-7300. And of course, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at hello at kd.health. Uh, by the way, a lot of people aren't familiar with the .health uh, domain for, uh, you know, in, in, for emails, um, it's not .com, not .org, it's kd.health. And we kind of liked it just because we're Kramer Davis Health. So it's kind of a, a fun domain for us. And you can also 
uh, visit us on the web on our website if you're interested in becoming a patient um, and go to kd.health uh, or www.kd.health and um, you can become a new patient uh, through the website there and i believe that is all for my presentation i would be happy to um, take any uh, questions uh, or, or discuss anything further. Thank you very much. Uh, we are so excited to have this model now available in Nashville. We have a Q&A box here and a chat box there. Rachel is also with us. She is our state chair for the Tennessee chapter. And Rachel, please feel free to jump in at any time. But uh, based on this presentation, uh, one thing that really stood out to me that we see a lot, and we've, I'm really interested to hear your response on this, because this is something we have talked about in our policy meetings. Rachel and I sit on some other committees together. One of the things we've talked about, Rachel, is how do we get doctors to get more education on this population coming through. And you said that through your residency, you had had one hour of exposure in this in this population. And we see that a lot. Um, so mm -hmm. I know that you also have lectured, you participated in the uh, conference in December here in Nashville as well. So training the new and upcoming physicians as well is something that you're passionate about. What is your recommendation and how can we address this as far as the training in, is involved? Yeah, this is boy, I could, I could probably spend uh, a whole hour talking about this. Um, so just a little background um, in 2009, I started a project called the national curriculum initiative in developmental medicine. And the purpose of that was to try to, um, incorporate, try to get medical schools to incorporate uh, the concepts of what I call developmental medicine, but essentially, uh, you know, intellectual developmental disabilities in in the care in the um, training of adult providers uh, into uh, medical schools and into residency programs. We started that in 2009, um, and that program has grown. It's actually changed names now. It's uh, the, the National Inclusive Health Inclusive Oh boy, it's the niche project. I can't remember the acronym <laughs> at this point, but but uh, but the whole point is that we, we haven't lost the mission there. We just figured out an acronym that was easier to say. Um, anyway, we actually over the course of the last you know fifteen years, um, and the momentum is growing. We are now in about forty medical schools um, that have chosen to participate with us, that have expressed interest, and have changed their curriculum to incorporate these these things, um, these concepts into uh, training. Um, and by the next four years, we have funding over the next four years. Um, hopefully we get that to more like 50 or maybe even 60. We believe that if we get high enough that uh, like when we get to about 30, 40 percent of the medical schools out there, which is going to be around that 60 school mark, um, that the medical education bodies, the accreditation bodies will start to mandate that this be a required piece. So the LCME is um, is is that body for medicine. Um, CODA, C-O-D-A, is the Council on Dental Accreditation, is that for dentistry. And um, a few years ago, we really pulled off a coup in dentistry um, in the sense that CODA made it a requirement for dental schools to teach about this specific topic. Um, and so we're hoping the same thing will happen in in uh, medicine, although we've had a lot more resistance in medicine. Um, I think it's not so much that they don't like what we're doing. It's just that there's a lot of competition for time and resources and such. Um, but here's the thing. We, we are pushing to make these kinds of things mandatory. But I've seen how this goes when you make this thing mandatory. Um, people always choose the path of least resistance. And so even if we manage to make this mandatory in medical education, we as advocates cannot stop there. We cannot give up and we cannot say, oh, well, it's mandatory. Surely they're 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 teaching everything that they, sh they should learn. Like, no, they will figure out how to do the very bare, bare minimum 
to, to meet whatever the language is in, in that thing. And so we have to keep this hot as a hot issue um, and continue to advocate um, for healthcare providers, um, for education, um, for um, trainings, for continuing education at all levels, for licensure requirements, for you know, all of the, te- the zillions of tests that you have to take as a, as a, as a physician or another healthcare provider, um, there should be content in those tests. There should be, you know, um, educational, continuing educational requirements. You know, these are the kinds of things that do it. Now that's one side of the equation. That's just tackling, should we teach about it? But here's the other thing that I can tell you. Um, and this is where I'm going to put my business hat on. I, I got my MBA, um, somewhere in there. So I also am very cognizant of the, of the very unfortunate world of, black and white money and how it impacts our our folks and the provision of care. Uh, the vast majority of our folks are on Medicaid um, and Medicaid doesn't pay too well. The, the majority of the folks that we see are very complex from a medical standpoint, which means they take more time. Um, and because they're complex, you know, medicine feels like it's very specialty driven. And so a lot of people are like, oh, that just seems like something that, you know, I, I didn't learn. So I'm not going to even touch it. And also it seems hard. So I don't really want to go there. And also, I'm not going to get paid very much because they're Medicaid. And also it's going to take a lot more time. So you have all these reasons, these financial reasons for healthcare providers to just not do it. And so even so what we have to do is we have to figure out, we have to make systemic changes that not only I'm going to say force, but force the providers to learn about the population, but then also incentivize them to continue to care. Because even if they care, and I've encountered this many times over my lifetime, where I've had people that have come, like they've got the heart, they know it, they want it, they've got a sibling that's got IDD, like they want to be in this forever. And they can't figure out how to make it fiscally sound so that they can provide the care to this population. So we've got to figure out how to do that. Um, and so one of the things, and I'll just nerd out here on the financial side of this for a second, but one of the things that 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 we're doing with Kramer Davis is trying to prove the case to the healthcare system that says, look, if you provide this type of care, this transdisciplinary model, we've closed up all those healthcare gaps and we've trained everybody to do it, and they all have experience in doing it. And we have this this like relentless focus on prevention then all of the money that you're going to save and not sending somebody to the hospital and not putting them on drugs that they don't need and not having them go to the emergency room because nobody can handle their behaviors and not sending them to an inpatient psych ward because we waited way too long for, you know, to deal with any of these issues. And that's the last, you know, we're at the last day, like all this, there, there's a ton of savings to be had by not doing all these really bad things that are happening now. Um, and if we can, prove that. Um, and, and we're working very closely with Blue Care um, to look at the the, fin- the financial impact on the system of what we're doing. So if we can do that and show the systems, and at this point now I'm talking about government, I'm talking federal government, I'm talking state, state level government, but if we can show them that not only does this, is this going to produce better outcomes, but we're also going to save the system a lot of money and a lot of resources, that will just, that's a slam dunk as far as um, healthcare reform is concerned. And we might actually get some traction there. And then we can, then at that point, you'll start to see the right kind of incentives be married to the right kind of training. And right now there's just this disconnect. So it's a long, very, very long-winded answer to your question, but that's kind of how I think about it. No, no, you're certainly speaking my language. Uh, Rachel has heard me kind of get on a soapbox about the same, everything you're saying right now. And it it truly is refreshing to hear somebody so close to us here in Hermitage, uh, in the medical profession, speaking about this. I know um, ARC of Tennessee also is very passionate, uh, shares our passion on improving these healthcare delivery systems. And they did a survey last fall on behaviors and unmet needs in this population. And they're getting that data. And one of the things they're like, but we need providers, we need doctors, we need them coming to the table to help advocate also. And so it is certainly refreshing hearing that you are already and have been uh, so involved in that space and the the impact, you know, that that you've already made with your initiatives. And, and so we are very grateful. 
Um, you know, um, one of the things you, you brought up uh, families and doctors and, and just on the other side of the equation, part of our training, doctors sometimes uh, fall victim to the uh, the mistaken belief that they know everything. Um, and so what we try to tell them is, especially when it comes to this population, you don't, your families are your best allies. But if you want to impact the system, um, the, the best thing you can do is like lend your expertise to what the families are trying to get done. Like, like. That is such a beautiful partnership. And whenever I've seen great things happen in healthcare, it's usually when you have families and sort of the that you know content expertise married together and working together. Like it, it doesn't get any better than that. Oh yeah, you're exactly right. I love to hear about partnerships. That's for one thing. But you were a breath of fresh air when you said the vast majority have never gotten this type of training. And I was just like, for a long time, I'm like, what is going on? Did I go to another planet? <laughs> you, know, so, you know, and and it's not the people. It's just it's the training that we don't have. And I'm I'm glad that we have you in the Middle Tennessee area. What was your uh, projections for West and East Tennessee in the future? Well, we are looking into that uh, right now. Um, I think the and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm kind of looking at um, you know. We're trying to centrally locate where it makes sense where the populations are. So I guess, you know, toward the West End, we're going to be looking at somewhere in the Memphis E area, maybe not in Memphis proper, but sort of close to there. And probably out East, we're looking at um, probably Knoxville, the Knoxville area, because that helps to cover kind of Johnson. It's not too far from Johnson State. It's not too far from Chattanooga. Um, I'll tell you, interestingly enough, we've only been open for a couple of months. 25% of our patients drive more than an hour to come to us. We've got folks that are driving from Jefferson City and driving from Memphis already. Um, and so, you know, the needs out there um, now in order to uh, it takes a lot to to build one of these clinics to open it. Um, it's it's you know, it took us a couple of years to get it all together. We're going to try to figure out how we can do that faster. But um, in the meantime, um, we are we're here. Um, we are also um, much more amenable to um, telemedicine. Um, than say we would have been pre-pandemic five years ago. Um, and so, you know, we're very aware of the challenge of, you know, um, hey, we'll probably see you from a dental standpoint four times a year. We'll probably see you from a medical standpoint at least twice, but it could be 10 times a year. I don't know. It's just whatever it is. Um, behaviorally, it might be once a month. We have no idea what that's going to look like, but if you have to drive three hours each time, like that's really burdensome um, on whoever's doing the driving. And um, so if we can reduce that, of course, we're going to need to see you in person every once in a while. But if we can reduce that through telemedicine, great. Um, and another thing that we can do from a systemic standpoint, um, we haven't done this yet, but we're very new. Um, we're, but this is something we're, we're building in is the concept really is, look, you might have a physical therapist that you just love and they're in your area and it's two hour drive. Or We've got physical therapists. Cool. But let's face it, you'd rather work with that person. And so if you want to work with that person, great. And we'll try to educate that person or work with that person, um, you know, to, to, to make that work. The only thing that we require um, in order to be part of the clinic. Now, of course, we, we're biased a little bit in the sense that it's transdisciplinary art. We feel like people get the most when they get the most out of, you know, when they come to us for all the things that they need, because we're coordinating all that stuff and everybody's on the same page. But with that said, there's just the realities of, you know, having to coordinate a healthcare team and what people like and all that. So our only requirement really is that you see our medical uh, folks and, um, and we don't, and even if you like your primary care doctor, you know, it's something that we can even work with that person and we might take a more specialist type role. Um, so there's lots of ways to work with it. What I always say in, um, when I talk about our, our place is, you know, um, we're, we're a tailor shop where, you know, you're not going to come here and get a suit off the rack that's put, that was made for, you know, some other fit model that isn't you like you're going to come here and we are going to measure everything about you and we're going to we're going to build a, a, a an approach to you um, that is as tailored to you as it can be. Um, and so, you know, we have um, very few rules and we'll try to make a lot of exceptions uh, to those rules. Um, if we can, for the benefit of the patient, to the to the greatest degree that we can. Thank you. Um, so recently, I was doing a lot of research specifically into 
the healthcare delivery systems for mental health and intellectual developmental disability dual diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. to my surprise, I think as somebody who's been in the system and seeing just how flawed and broken and fractured it really is, uh, I anticipated seeing that there wasn't a lot of research on this, but to my surprise, I found there are thousands of research articles over decades really identifying the disparities that people in this special population experience with our current healthcare delivery systems. But despite the identification of those issues, there haven't been a lot of solutions posed and you have developed a, a solution. And what I have seen from the research that I have see, found is that this is in alignment with what others are saying is the overall solution. What what we nobody really knows how to deploy it broadly across the healthcare system yet, mm-hmm. but this is the concept that people are talking about: uh, cross systems collaboration and getting multiple specialists being able to communicate with one another with more transparency. Um, Of course, there's some logistical issues regarding, you know, uh, need to know and HIPAA and people having different software platforms, you know, across one specialty to another. So it's certainly going to be more difficult if it's not all under one house. But we definitely can see for our population, they they are an entire human being. They're not just their behaviors. They're not just their sensory needs. They're not just the medical conditions that they have going on. They are all of it, and it all plays a factor into one another. So have you considered kind of the future of medicine? Do you see this being something that with enough people coming to the table, we might be able to see this in the future where we have more collaboration between specialties? Yeah. I mean, I I think that there's a lot of, um, I've, I've thought about this in the sense that when, even within the IDD community, um, there is sort of a subset of folks in the IDD community who our model works better for. The the more complex the situation, the more healthcare providers, the more tests, the more things you're having done, the more our model starts to make sense. And and that's true. Um, There are other populations out there that this also makes sense for. So, you know, any any complex care, um, probably uh, the aging population, um, um, you know, lots of uh, complex disease, uh, disease processes like autoimmune diseases and things like that. Um, you know, just any kind of scenario like that, it makes a lot of sense for us. And quite frankly, um, just, it's not like a black and white thing, just because this makes sense here. I can tell you that if I have any person who needs two or three of the things that, that we offer, um, whether or not they have IDD, it's probably going to be coordinated in a better way. Um, and that's because we removed a lot of barriers. You know, we're, we're inherently on the same uh, records platform because, you know, our dentist and our physician and our psychiatrist used what's internal to us. They, we use the same platform. So um, we inherently removed that issue. You know, if we want to broaden this out more, um, we have to really solve um, the electronic health record thing is such a, is such a mess. It's so hard right now um, in the U.S. and it's gotten a lot better. Um, but uh, for the last two years, I've, I've spent time just trying to develop um, and tweak an existing one that's you know robust and all of that. But for our population, and just trying to solve those issues is super complicated. Um, so we've got a lot to do with technology. I think um, we have to work. This is also an attitudes thing. A lot of physicians and dentists and stuff. I mean, they don't they don't want to collaborate necessarily. I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, When we, when we bring dentists in here, they're afraid to call physicians because the physicians are often like, well, who are you telling me about, you know, this thing that you saw with your patient? I don't want to hear that. Um, And so we have to kind of work on, and and that's one thing I I will say it's happening in medical schools and dental schools now um, is some, you know, interprofessional education, interprofessional training, like there's that's starting to become a hot topic of training now. But the problem is that now is now, and most of the physicians out there were trained 10, 20, 30 years ago when that wasn't a thing. 
Um, and so, you know, it, uh, the problem with the healthcare system is it moves at such a slow pace, um, you know, in, in reform. But I think solving those technology things, solving those attitudinal issues um, and recognizing that, you know, I think in our space, we very much understand the concept of spectrum. And, you know, yeah, we don't need to go from zero. There's there's space between zero and 100. Um, and we can sort of work that nuance a little bit. Um, and I think we need to make that same case to the rest of medicine that, you know, it, it, just because we're talking about interprofessional collaboration and, and, and system, you know, change, it doesn't mean we're doing like destroy everything else. Right. Um, we're just talking about, you know, trying to find a, 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 you know, sometimes it's just a slightly better thing can make a huge difference in, in, in the system. So, um, and I think the other piece is getting people prepared for change. So that's another thing never hear about in medicine. We talk about it. I've talked about it a lot in business school. We never talked about it in medical school, which is, hey, here's the system. You know, in medical school, you, you get these pictures of like, um, you know, Aristotle or something, you know, like looking at human cadavers from the Greeks. And you're like, the body hasn't changed in 2000 years. You don't need to do anything different. But but the healthcare system is changing and we have to like put, ingrain that in the mindset of everybody. You're going to get out there and you, your system is going to change. Yeah, the body hasn't changed, but the system you're working in is going to change. And you have to be able to understand how to work with change and how to and how to rather than resist that change to try to guide it for something better. So to me, those are kinds of like philosophically how we have to um, make those changes. Yeah, we definitely need to make sure. Well, well, we 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 try to um, you know at least uh, explain these topics. Um, thankfully, we've got you know, nice young, uh, uh, med students and residents who are still impressionable and, you know, they'll, they'll at least listen to us, um, <laughs> talk about these things. For sure. I would love to see in my lifetime, the gap between medical health and dental health to actually collaborate because yeah. they're so important together. And, and especially in our population, dental health oh can gosh. be such a driver. Yeah. You know, there was there was that article in Spark a couple of years ago, and it highlighted a young girl who she had been bounced from one psychiatric hospital to another until she eventually got to a specialized unit in Colorado for severe self-injury and aggression. And this specialty clinic in Colorado ended up finding out she had a a dental infection, a jaw. I think it had actually gone into her jaw and how painful that must have been. But once they were able to treat that and here she ended up being back at home with her family. And it just goes to show the, the multi-level trauma to the individual with intellectual disabilities, their families, when we're missing kind of those underlying conditions and how your clinic can really be a solution to those kinds of disparities faced in that population. You know, just, just to expand on that a little bit. So we've seen patients with that story uh, so many times um, and to take it one step further of, of we never found out um, that same person, if that jaw infection or that, let's, let's just say it was the tooth infection. If it lasts long enough, that infection will ultimately kill the nerve that is causing that pain and causing that behavior. And the behavior will go away because you've killed the nerve off and the pain is effectively gone. Now, the infection is still there, but but the pain is gone. Now, here's the weird thing. In, in that period of time, if they never got to a dentist to begin with, they probably went to a psychiatrist. They're probably on antipsychotic. They probably and then suddenly everybody just saw the result of guess what? The behavior went away. So that antipsychotic must have worked just fine. And then the next time that happens, because we never figured out the problem in the begin with, um, now we're going to use that as the answer the next time that happens. And that can happen multiple, multiple times. And we've seen that, like we've gotten patients that have come in where that process has probably occurred over a 10, 15 year period of time, multiple times. They've never been to a dentist uh, because it was a bad experience every time. And now they're on a bunch of different medications they never needed to be on. And the worst part is that all of those medications have tons of side effects Antipsychotics are terrible. It's, you know, weight gain, um, it, you know, reflux, um, you know, just, I mean, just all kinds of things, uh, long, long-term side effects that are very bad. Um, that can lead to aspiration and, um, dysphagia and all just a zillion things. And 
for what? They didn't eat it in the first place. Yeah. Um, so we tend to be very focused on that. <laughs> that one in particular is one we tend to be very focused on. Yeah, we actually are going to be there on Thursday. My daughter is getting her first Kramer Davis dental, oh. dental experience, and she actually loves the dentist. We have, she, she really, truly <laughs> loves the dentist. Uh, we, <laughs> the reason we have emergency room protocols is because Jaden had a huge behavioral episode in Nashville. <laughs> that required like multi-emergency response systems because she didn't want to leave the dentist. So she didn't want to leave the dentist <laughs> in the parking garage. So. Well, she loves the dentist, but being that she has uh, Lennox Gastaut syndrome, also the challenge we found um, wasn't that she was adversive to the dentist, was finding a dentist that was willing to treat her uh, because they felt that she was going to need sedation. Nobody was willing to consider it without sedation. And yeah. that she had Lennox Gastaut syndrome, they didn't want to sedate her. They said that we would have to go to Vanderbilt. Um, now, her, when you were talking about, you know, dentists talking with doctors, her neurologist was like there's there's nothing in the medical literature that indicates that she's at any higher risk for for this you know tell them they they can treat her i will talk to them if this is a concern but nobody would even contact her neurologist and vanderbilt had a two-year wait so how is a person yeah. with a you know an abscess or a sore tooth supposed to wait two years to see a dentist? We were fortunate that Complex Care got us into Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt was wonderful with her. But um, this is something that we certainly see in Tennessee is a need for specialty care dentistry for this population. So anybody who's listening know that you can get this all in one place. Uh, I love how you don't just, these aren't just your, your stacking appointments, you're combining specialties together, correct? So in a dental yeah. appointment, you might have an ABA, a BCBA there, you might have occupational therapy there, uh, all with the working as a team in that dental appointment, if somebody is afraid of certain noises, sounds, experiences, right? Yep, yep. Um, yes. So we, that's exactly the function of our BCBA that is in the clinic is really to help people get through the appointment if it's the first time and they're apprehensive and, you know, whatever that is. Um, and it's very different. You know, I, I think sometimes in, in the autism world, there's a, a little bit of, um, um, uh, let's say maybe not the best feelings about ABA and that kind of thing. The way that it's applied in the clinic is very, very different in the sense that, you know, we, we try to just look at the process of getting, you know, of getting through a dental visit successfully and just breaking that down into little steps. And, you know, it's just a very simple and straightforward thing. Um, I'll say Lennox Castell, we've certainly seen lots of folks that have that. Um, we haven't needed to take any of them to the operating room that I'm aware of. Um, and uh, so, you know, well, I'll be in the clinic on Thursday anyway. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll be, I'll say hi. <laughs> yeah, she, you'll love it because, you know, a lot of times uh, Dr. Ames was her doctor over at Vanderbilt and he just loved it because normally dentists are used to being the bad guy, you know, even if they're not, yeah. and they love their patients. They're used to kids kind of being afraid of them. And here this, this patient didn't want to leave. He's like, well, this is a first, you know? <laughs> so yeah. 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 Oh, dentists love it when, when we have patients who are just excited to see them. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think to, to the, to the other point, um, you know, as we get more successful into, it's not just about the dental visit, one of so Dr. Hood is a dentist, um, at the, my co-founder, and one of the things that he would always say is, you know, look, I can't fix all the dental issues if all if I just see you four times a year and it stops there. Um, what, the biggest issue is oral hygiene. It's what happens in the home. It's can the person brush their teeth? Can their if they can't brush their teeth? Can their parents brush their teeth? Or can their caregivers brush their teeth? Um, can we can we get to that level of prevention? And so so that's kind of the point of having like OT and PT or whatever we need to do. We have people that come in who they might have um, you know mobility limitations. Maybe we have to design 
some kind of, uh, you know, modified toothbrush or something, or, you know, who knows what, what we might have to do. But the whole the point is like, we'll get, you know, we, we feel happy when we've gotten somebody to where they can get through the dental visit, but then let's keep going down that road. And now can we get them to a place where we've got good regular oral hygiene so that the dentist is frankly less needed and maybe we only need to see them once a year at that point and because the oral hygiene is so good and if we can keep it on that end of the spectrum frankly everybody's happier um so that's that's the the useful part of having that transdisciplinary approach and multiple disciplines that you may not think go together you know kind of on the case together i have one more um question for you and then we can wrap up unless Rachel has some more questions but I just wanted to uh, note when you were talking about the time that you spend uh, getting to know patients and that it's that you are okay with an unsuccessful appointment and that you are taking the time to get to know them uh, we have talked about this uh, quite a bit in the community where many of our children need to have a rapport in order to for them to allow somebody to work with them. And your right. clinic is incorporating that into the model. And this is just expected with, with you. Um, so I, I really want to thank you for highlighting that. And I truly, truly hope that other clinics that, uh, you know, the hospitals and other departments are able to really see the difference in what you're doing and how you're able to reach this population because there is a lot of bias too um, sometimes with providers because they just haven't gotten to spend time with this population. And that first encounter, especially if they have anxiety um, or fear right. or prior bad experiences, that first encounter might be something that it that does turn a provider off if they're having challenging behaviors, if they're being aggressive or having self-injury. Um, but if you take the time to really get to know them and their silly dispositions and how sweet they are, um, that that takes time. And so I really hope that this model helps to give better exposure to physicians so that they can really help develop those rapport. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. It's, um, you know, I always like to tell folks, especially um, in my Special Olympics days and, and uh, you know, teaching that just because somebody has intellectual disability doesn't mean they can't learn. They just learn differently. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times physicians, if, if they have a bad experience with the patient the very first time, they assume that that's the permanent disposition that the patient has. Like, oh, well, every time they're going to come in here, they're going to have this behavior. And it's and, and so what's the point? Um, and they kind of make that assumption. And they, they partially make that assumption because they haven't ever spent the, you know, three, four, and it can be who knows how many number of times, but, you know, enough time um, to see that change. And if you know that that on the other side of that, you know, if you know what's possible on the other side, you're much more likely to go ahead and give that person the, the chance of, you know, the extra steps. We've had patients um, who uh, couldn't get out of the car, you know, in, in, like they came to our building and they were like, I am not going to go. And so our first appointment was rolling down the window and just kind of like, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so. Um, and do you want to get out of the car? No. Okay. Well, great to meet you. Um, we'll see you next time. And then, then it's, we get to the front door, right? Because now it's a familiar face. And I will say that's another thing that helps a little bit with all the different disciplines under the same roof is that they're going to the same building each time they're seeing the same faces each time. Um, and, and so there's a little bit less like transition that happens with all of that. Um, but anyway, you know, that we've, we've seen that, that success of, okay, uh, this is going to take us six visits from just getting out of the car to getting into the dental chair. And who knows what's going to happen after that, but, but big success here. Cause we just managed to get from the parking lot to the dental chair, you know, when, and we're all happy that we made it that far. And then it might be another six more visits before we actually get any real dentistry done. But that's what it takes. And, you know, that's and that's OK. Um, and if people know that it's possible that 18 visits into this, the person sitting there and actually smiling and and, you know, laughing with the dentist 
um, great, right? And now they now they have the vision of success, and we like to show that to our to our trainees. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and also on the other side, they help. So if your child does not want to leave the doctor or the dentist, they do come out and help walk them to the car with you because we have had yeah. that yeah. that yes. experience as well. Yeah, we've done that too. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> It's just a, it's a different approach for whatever the situation demands. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we will, we will be seeing you on Thursday. Uh, Rachel, did you have any final comments before we, I don't know. Have we violated HIPAA here? I hope not. No, no. I mean, I, I'm the conservator. So I can, yeah. <laughs> yeah you can. All right. We're in good shape then. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. It was, it's very informative. Thank I you. I can't wait to keep following, following what you're doing. Thank you for, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, and to everybody listening, just thanks for, you know, supporting us and, and I hope we'll see you. Yes. And so for anybody watching or anybody seeing the replay, go to kd.health if you are interested in uh, putting in a referral for Kramer Davis. And they, again, they have that tour, a virtual tour that you can see more of their facility on there. So thank you again, Dr. Holder. and. We're, we are grateful you are now in Hermitage. Thanks. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, everyone.